So today is uh, the final day of our series that we've called Kingdom Values. And the whole idea of this series, uh, the big idea, we've said it every week, is that living in the kingdom means giving towards the things that matter. And we started off with this idea that Jesus, Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 3, between the resurrection and the ascension, 40 days in there, it was all kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. That's what he that's what he emphasized. Then we went over to the end of the book of Acts, and Paul, the, the really the last history point we know of him in the New Testament, he received people, it says there, for two years, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So before Paul leaves uh, this earth and goes heavenward, it's kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And we've defined the kingdom as God's eternal spiritual ruling authority over everything. It's, it's eternal, which means it's here now. That's why Jesus encouraged us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in living our lives, we're bringing a little bit of heaven to earth in the ways that we live. So it's not just out there someday going to heaven, the kingdom of God, it's here and now, and it's spiritual authority. So that means that God is shepherding everything that comes into our lives, the good things and the bad things. He's going to shepherd all of that towards his eternal purposes. So we began the series in the Sermon on the Mount. We took two weeks in the middle to talk about the parable of the barns, and then last week, the widow's mites. I hope uh, you were either here for that or you're caught up online um, on, for that content. And then we're coming back today to land the series um, in the Sermon on the Mount as well. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn over to Matthew chapter 6, and we will jump in at verse 25. <clears throat> Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food or the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value uh, than they are? Jesus makes a point here. Uh, he's already talked about generosity and how generosity kind of turns us into good greed fighters, but he's emphasizing, I think, here for us that generosity, that financial um, giving, that looking at our resources uh, with open hands towards the things that matter is a spiritual act of worship. And it doesn't just help us fight greed, but here Jesus talks to us about how it helps us fight worry. It helps us fight, um, it helps us fight fear. So um, and I, everybody's got a different spiritual or uh, personal perspective on finances. And realize some of us are very conservative, right? No risk. Like, um, like how many of you um, pay all your bills the old-fashioned way? You get the checkbook out, you write the check, put the check in the envelope, right? Yeah, a few of, few of you. Um, how many of you are like, what's a check? Like you're under 40, you have no idea what a check, uh, you have no idea what one of those is. How many of you are part of the new trend where you just don't pay your bills? Um, where it's just like, you don't have to you just, just bypass it altogether. Um, I, I understand in church world, especially that talking about finances and talking about, I mean, it's a sensitive, it's a sensitive topic. And um, so if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're not a believer, um, a lot of what I'm gonna say today doesn't spiritually, doesn't apply to you. I think God's principles regarding finances are helpful, right, and true. Um, but um, as far as being compelled with how you look at your resources, I, I look at it as, um, as an opportunity because um, for all the weddings that I do, I'm blessed around here to do a lot of weddings. We've got a lot of young folks at our church. And when I do, we spend a whole session talking about finances. And what I realize more and more is that no one is equipping the next generation well. Uh, I shouldn't say no one. Certainly there are organizations out there that are doing that. But as I sit and talk to couples, I make them do a budget. 
force them to, to sit down, think it through, put a budget down, put it on paper. Um, because in almost every marriage, and, and finances are the number one reason couples give for divorce in year one of their marriage. It's critical, it's important. And, and what you almost always see in a, in a married couple is that one of them is the saver and one of them is the spender, right? One's the saver. Well, you almost never get two spenders or two savers um, that, that are married up. And so for all of us, um, you know, married or not, um, you're probably gonna lean one way or the other. Save, how many savers? Savers? Spenders? Yeah, they're getting the elbow. They say the spinners are getting the elbow right there, right? There's a lot of different perspective. And I, under, I just wanna say that I understand the sensitivity, but what Jesus is saying to us is that generosity is helpful in this area of, related, of, of how we look at finances. And it'll help us fight worry. Jesus says this, he says, look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Now, I don't know about you think about this, but I think about this. Like Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount, right? So he's up on the mountain. He's outdoors, he's teaching. And I just imagine this big field of flowers right beside him. Birds flying over in the air. And Jesus is like, look at the flowers, look at the birds. They're not worried because they know that if God created them, that God's gonna provide for them. That the creator and the provider are the same person. So they live with a sense of contentment. Now, certainly spiritual awareness is what he's trying to, to say. So you're, you're, you live in an awareness that God provides everything that you have and everything that I have. But what you and I are gonna sense, the tension that we're gonna be, that we're just gonna feel like we're in the middle of all the time is this tension between generosity and worry, generosity and fear, generosity and insecurity. And I'll just encourage you that as you are taking steps in your growth um, as a believer, as you get closer to God, and as you start to take steps in generosity, you and I would be naive to think that there's not gonna be spiritual opposition. Everything's just gonna go smooth and everything's just gonna be, I've seen it over and over and over again. Uh, a single person or a family, a young couple, they take a step in generosity and all of a sudden the car gets dinged up, right? Or the washer breaks and, it's, and there's this sense of panic. There's this, there's this sense of fear. But Jesus says, listen, we live in contentment knowing that the creator, he is also the, the provider that he has given to us. So what he says then in the next verse here about worry in verse 27, he says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour uh, to your life? Jesus says, listen, he just pushes. He's like, let's talk, let's talk about worry, the ultimate worry. The ultimate worry is our insecurity about death, right? That our life is frail, fragile, momentary, vapor. I mean, the Bible has so many different uh, illustrations um, and ideas to help us think that way. And the insecurity, the worry that we have about, about death and about what's coming, just understand we need to know and expect that, man, the enemy's gonna use opposition. You know, Wesley uh, mentioned it earlier, I thought so well in worship today. Like where we look, what we see, um, we're marketed to all the time. And I'll just tell you, worry sells big time in our culture, big time. There's a, a journalist, um, his name was Bob Garfield. 
And um, he kind of realized this trend or something, you know, a decade ago, I'm sure it's been around longer than that, but he realized this trend. So here's what he did for six months. He researched every article that came out in uh, the USA Today, the Washington Post and the New York Times that dealt with insecurity, worry, fear about um, death and health, right? And so he tabulated all of that over six months and uh, these, are his, these are his results. According to experts, 59 million Americans have heart disease, 53 million suffer from migraines, 25 million have osteoporosis, 16 million struggle with obesity, 3 million have cancer, 12 million have severe disorders like brain injuries and other things. That's a total of 543 million Americans, million people who are seriously sick, which is shocking since the American population just crossed 330 million people, right? So we are being marketed to worry is it sells. If we can make you fearful, if you can be made to worry, to be concerned, then you are more likely to buy into a certain product or to a certain resource all of the time that is going on with you and me. So Jesus says, listen, does worry help? Can you add a single hour? I think what he says there, I'll just say, can you add a single hour, he says, to your life? There's a great example of this in the Old Testament with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is living a very comfortable life in Persia. He's part of the, of the royal court there, but God calls Nehemiah to lead a movement of people back to Israel to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Nehemiah has zero construction experience, by the way. He has zero skill, but God calls him on mission to go do something that really is gonna be a turning point in Jewish history. The people there are scattered, they're hurt, they're, they're wounded. And so Nehemiah, who has no resources to his name, says yes to God. And in leading this movement back, the people do something that's, it's really unbelievable in some ways, it's unthinkable that in 52 days, they rebuild the walls. And all along the way, Nehemiah finds opposition. It's not like it was smooth all the way. He has opposition uh, from the outside, from, from people who are not uh, Jewish. He has opposition from his own people on the inside. But what he had that was even stronger was a sense of mission and contentment that he was doing what it was uh, that God wanted him to do. I'll show you a picture um, of the walls uh, that Nehemiah built around Jerusalem 3,000 years later. The legacy of those walls is still, is still standing, which to me is just a reminder that we can do so much more together than we can alone, than we can, than we can by ourselves and on our own. I think about, I don't know, it was five or six years ago, our life groups came together to build a Habitat for Humanity house for one of our single parents here at our church. We can do more living in generosity together than we can ever do alone on our own. But generosity, worry is gonna, it's just, worry's gonna fight. It's gonna fight against us all the time. And I'll give you at least two ways that it does that, comparison and ownership. First, let's talk about comparison. Comparison falsely minimizes our view. And by that, I mean our, our view of God. What we do is we consistently look around. We've already referenced today the commercials that are gonna be coming out, the big bow on the car, right? I mean, all of that, all those commercials are coming. And what those are intended to do is to make you think that you are lacking, that you, that you need more, have more, right? That what you have 
is not, it's just not adequate. And it's just not, not enough. So here's what Jesus says in the sermon in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body uh, will be full of darkness. So what happens is that comparison then becomes the thief of joy. If your eyes are bad and if your eyes are constantly looking, you're constantly comparing yourself to everybody else, you'll always think that you lack. There's somebody out there that's either gonna have something you don't have or you'll be marketed to in a way to realize, oh, I, don't, I don't have that, I must need that, right? When in reality, you and I have all that we need. We have more than enough. And as a matter of fact, you're the person that the rest of the world looks to. Anybody in the room say, man, I'm loaded financially. I got all I need, right? I've got every, and yet, if your household earns more than $80,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of income earners in the world. The rest of the world looks at you like you look at the people that you think are, but we're all looking around. We're all like, well, there's somebody who's ahead of me. There's somebody who's behind me and I better, I'm, I'm, I'm falling behind. I, I need to catch up. And so what comparison does, it's the thief of joy. It, it minimizes our perspective. But the flip side of the coin is that ownership maximizes our perspective. If I were to ask you today, what are your three most valuable possessions? Name them, like just in your mind, tick them off. The three most valuable things that you own. Your list is gonna be something like uh, house, car, uh, maybe you thought family, maybe you thought children, or you thought, man, these are the most valuable things that I, that I own. But really, in reality, it's a trick question because you don't own anything. If you're a Christian, if you believe in the God of the Bible, your stuff is not your stuff. God owns everything and he's given you everything. You're not an owner, you're a steward. So just fill, just put a blank in front of all three of those items, right? It's God's house, it's God's car, God's kids. Everything that we have has just been given to us as stewards. And yet you and I feel this unbelievable pull. We, we just feel because of worry, like we're missing out somehow. So I need this thing, I need that thing, I need this new, this upgrade, I need this, that thing, right, is gonna, but you will never have enough of what you do not need. I'm gonna say that to you again. You will never have enough of what you do not need. What we've said throughout this series is that God is the thing that is enough for us. We have enough because he is enough. And when he becomes enough, we don't need the stuff. We're grateful for the stuff, right? When God gives us good gifts, that's what the scripture says. We're grateful for the gifts. We're grateful for the stuff, but we don't have to have it. We don't have to live in comparison. We don't have to live in this, with a sense of, of ownership, like everything we have is our stuff. So that's why we started the series in verse 21 of chapter six, where Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what I've tried to do in this series is argue with you. I've tried to make the case for, um, for us to imagine a different kind of life. 
a life where you pay off debt early so that as you get older, you can be wildly generous with your resources. That is the joyful John 10, 10, abundant kind of life that I believe that God has laid out in front of us. One where um, we can live appropriately, save wisely, and give generously. It is the best kind of life. And this morning, we are, um, we're blessed to hear uh, a story from one of our own families, Emmett and, and Michelle. And so two years ago-ish, Emmett and Michelle showed up uh, at LifePoint. Uh, they were on the brink of divorce, um, looking for something to fill a space uh, in their hearts. And on the morning that they showed up, we were actually talking about relational idolatry, how we look at one another and try to get other people to fill the space on the inside of us that only God is designed to fill. And we made the comment that um, from in that message that we look at other people, other people become functional saviors to us, that we lean more earthly than we do heavenly, and we put a weight on other people's shoulders to become our satisfaction that they can never fill. And in that moment, when, when we said that that morning, we treat one another as functional saviors. Michelle took her hand and she put her hand on top of Emmett's hand. And Emmett looked at her, their eyes met, and they realized that's us. So that started a journey for them. Emmett and Michelle, right? They met God that morning. That led to baptism. Baptism led to, to life group. And that's led to over the past uh, a year or so of growth in Christ. And yet recently, they hit a wall and they're looking at their lives and they're frustrated and they feel the frustration. And sometimes that frustration gets aimed at each other. Sometimes that frustration gets aimed um, at other people. So with that background um, in mind, if you would turn your eyes to the screens and I'll let Emmett and Michelle tell you the rest of their story. I'm Emmett Jarvis, and this is my wife, Michelle Jarvis, and we've been going to Delaware LifePoint campus for about a year and a half now. My previous career was, I was a light infantryman in the United States Army until I retired a couple years ago. Always going overseas to Iraq or Afghanistan like I was, you know, you kinda, you get into a habit of, when you're home, you wanna be able to enjoy your life, have the nicer things, and before you know it, we're maxing out credit cards, we have no more money, and we're completely bankrupt. You know, with a lot of prayer and consulting and talking to Kale and other people, it was like really weighed on my heart. I was like, you know what? I need to get rid of my really nice truck that I love and trade it in for this Honda Accord. It just kind of refocused our energy on God because that's where our joy should be coming from. And something as simple as trading our cars in or getting rid of something or downgrading something that's of dollar value should be so simple to us when he has sacrificed so much more. Yeah, I think some of the positives that we've seen from making that switch is I, I wanted to be able to give to the church in a meaningful way. And, and because of what we've been able to do by freeing up so much money extra a month, you know, it's put us into a position where we're able to start budgeting money to start going to the church and the missions that are gonna greatly impact and help uh, spread the word of God. It has freed up to where we are able to do more with our family, um, where we're able to do more together. Every time I, we do it on our own or our own way, typically don't get the results we need to be getting. But if we do it God's way, I'll tell you like every time, 
we've done it God's way. We've had great success come from it. I hope you appreciate the the space in which they're in, you know, growing in their relationship with Christ. And then all of a sudden they come up against this this wall of generosity. And they're like, what, what do we do? And uh, Kale said it uh, so well, you know, Emmett comes in, he sits down, he's talking to Kale and he's like, man, we just get frustrated financially at each other all the time. We're frustrated at other people. We we're short on patience um, at times. And, you know, they looked at both of their car payments. They're over a thousand dollars a month in both car payments. And um, Kale said, well, man, do you, how necessary do you think that it's just like a light went off? Uh, and listen, the point of the video is not that you can't drive a nice truck. The point of the video is, are you living in generosity? And if you look at your stuff as your stuff and you're not being generous with the things that God has given to you. So Kale said the next day, is uh, it was the weekend, he was sitting at his house and all of a sudden the text pops up on his phone, literally the next day. And Emmett's like, we're at the dealership, we're trading in cars right now, just pray for us. <laughs> so those steps, and you sense the freedom and contentment that they have in that. And one of the things I appreciated about what Emmett said is maybe this gives us the opportunity to be part of the mission. And I hope you sense that. I hope you sense that you are part of the mission of God and what he's doing in the life of our church. We've already talked about over the past couple of weeks about the development of a digital platform that'll help us reach pastoralists, uh, rural churches, um, smaller groups of people who are looking to plant churches um, in, other, in other areas. We talked a little bit last week, we talked about students and what God is doing in student ministry. You know, last year, God uh, brought an intern onto our team, Megan, um, who's done a great job helping us in the area of students, middle school um, and high school. Um, sometimes, especially, um, a young lady needs somebody outside of mom and dad um, to talk to. And this year, we wanna bring Megan onto our team out of that intern kind of role, but bring her onto our team in more of a full-time capacity. We're up 4X or 5X in the number of students uh, over the past just couple, couple of years. Another part of our vision for 2023 is we've kind of had an experiment over the last six months trying to help support better our life group leaders. Um, our life group leaders here in our church structure, they bear the weight uh, of ministry in so, so many ways. And especially now with a greater emphasis culturally um, on mental health, we find that our leaders are getting more and more asks, more and more ministry when it comes to uh, areas. And, and quite frankly, it's just tough. So six months ago, we contracted um, with a uh, retired Christian counselor, a pastor from our city named Brett Castle. And Brett comes in two days, or he has come in two days a month. And any of our life group leaders can, can schedule a time to meet with uh, Brett during that Tuesday when he's in the office hour. So if someone's coming to their group and said, hey, I'm struggling with anxiety. It's so difficult for one of our life group leaders to know what do I what do, I do in, that, in that vein and in that, in that space? Like, do I, uh, is this a circumstantial sense of anxiety about a specific thing or is it a generalized anxiety disorder? And what do I do and what do I, and Brad is here to help equip our leaders, uh, leadership disciples, or maybe one of our leaders says, you know what, in the middle of leading, I'm trying to find balance, right? I'm balancing my leadership, and at the same time, I've got this issue with uh, inside the context of my family or I, my kids, or I've got this issue at work. And so Brett has made himself available to any of our leaders for leadership um, discipleship. And 
number of our leaders have taken advantage of that. He's, he and Christy Lowe from our team have also developed a series of podcasts that I would highly recommend. I'm, I know I'm biased, but they are fantastic resources available to anybody from our church on our website. If you go to the Life Groups page of our website and um, click on uh, the Leader Care uh, button there on the Life Groups page, you'll see a series of podcasts that'll drop down. The first three that they did were on the uh, balance, boundaries, and bandwidth. I listened to all three of them as I was traveling um, somewhere, driving somewhere to speak. Super helpful uh, for me. As a matter of fact, Angie and I were the first appointment to meet with Brett uh, whenever he came uh, in the office for the, first, uh, for the first time. They just started a series. They dropped number one in a series of three podcasts this week that are available on the page dealing with uh, lead, helping leaders who um, lead students, who lead, uh, maybe they're leading in their family, leading uh, their kids, um, talking to young people about suicidal ideation. Such a difficult topic. And as a parent, how do you deal with that? As a leader, how do you deal with that? As somebody who's mentoring the next generation, how do you deal with that and that topic and when there are questions around it? Doing a fantastic, we wanna bring Brett in a more permanent way, right? As part of our team uh, next year. Um, we want to uh, retire debt next year. The loan on this facility is structured in two pieces. Uh, one piece is for the physical facility that you see. The other much smaller uh, loan is structured around the tech and AV and all that kind of stuff. We want to pay that off and eliminate um, that debt um, in the coming year. So all of those things, the development of a digital platform, bringing Megan onto our team full-time, continuing what we're doing for leaders and leadership, uh, discipleship and retiring debt is new to our budget next year, north of about $600,000 is the add to our budget. So that's why I'm asking that you would be prayerful in consideration about joining us, being open-handed with the resources that God has put into your hand. You can do that uh, by filling out an online commitment card it's available to you there in the message notes this morning. There's a link there. It's available on the front page of the website. There's a pop-up in the bottom right uh, that says Kingdom Values Commitment Card. You are just saying, hey, as much as I know, next year in 2023, this is what I'm planning on giving financially. Angie and I have already filled out our card. Our staff team, they've already filled out um, their cards. And you know, you're going to say, well, what if something changes? That's fine. You lose your job or something like that. I hope the church, hopefully we can be a help and a resource to you in a season like that. Completely understand when things like that happen. But we plan for retirement. We plan for vacations. Why wouldn't we plan for the generosity, the giving back of the resources that God has put into our hands as we prayerfully offer those up to him for ministry and the vision that God has given to our church. So this morning, um, I said this is the last of the, uh, of the messages in this series. So we're gonna end the service just a little bit early this morning to give you the time. Maybe you need to have a discussion. Maybe you wanna take a minute and pray when the service is over to go ahead and take the step of filling uh, that card out this morning. You're joining with a couple of hundred folks who've already taken that step over the past couple, uh, over the past couple of weeks. Now, maybe you are here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. And for you, the initial kingdom step is to recognize God on the throne of your heart. Your, what we sang earlier, 
It's like he's the king of our hearts. And the way that that happens, because you and I are flawed and we're born into this world separated from God, the way that that happens is that what we're about to celebrate in Christmas is that God left heaven and came to earth in the person of Christ. And he made peace with God and with us. He brought the two of us together. And so for you, the first kingdom step is to receive the greatest gift that has ever been given with the broken body and the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross to bring us into relationship with God. What we have said throughout this series is that you and I are John 3.16 valuable to God. That God would so love you that he gave his one and only son that whoever, and whoever means you, and that means no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been, Jesus has paid for all of that. And what you and I do in response to that is that we repent. That we turn our hearts and our lives God's direction instead of going our own way. Not because it's a harsh thing, but the New Testament says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That God would offer himself as a sacrifice. As a matter of fact, I would say it's about the easiest thing you could ever do. You let go of your way of life, your way of thinking, because you look at, let's see where it's gotten you, right? And you say, you know what? God's way's better. God's heart's better. God's love is better. So I'm gonna receive that and I'm gonna bring my life under, under God's authority. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Because what we said earlier, he deserves everything because he's the best man. And then what you do for the rest of your days as a believer is on a daily basis, you keep repenting. You keep turning your heart God's direct, because of his kindness and because of his love and because of everything that he gives you, you just keep turning your heart God's direction. So this morning, we thought as we're heading into this week with Thanksgiving, this is a great opportunity for us to celebrate the cross together through receiving communion. So whenever you came in today, you walked by tables, I hope that you picked up some communion elements. I'll remind you that Communion is for believers, for people who have experienced the cross and surrendered their lives um, to God. It is a celebration of his work on the cross for us. If you wanna take um, a second right now, if you didn't grab communion elements on the way in, I'm gonna pray for us before we receive communion. And uh, you can step out, grab those elements uh, quickly if you would like to do that. God, what we... Um, what we sang earlier is that this place is not even our place. It's, this is your house. And there's a sense of joy in being here because you're the one that brought us here and you're the one that has sacrificed for us. You're the one, God, that was incredibly generous to us. And so God, this morning, we just celebrate that. Your broken body painfully sacrificed in our stead, in our behalf. Lord, we celebrate this morning your blood that was shed for the payment for our sins. And we pray, God, this morning that our celebration of communion rises up in front of you, a fragrant aroma in response to all that you have done for us. 
scriptures say that on the night before Jesus went to the cross, that he took bread, that he broke it, that he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, all of you. The scriptures say then that he took the cup and that he gave it to them and said, this is my blood that was shed for you for the remission or for the payment of sins. Drink all of you. And then the scriptures say that after the disciples had celebrated this communion together with Jesus, that they left there, they went uh, out to the Mount of Olives, but as they went, they sang. And so we are gonna join our hearts just in response to all that God has done for us, all that God has given to us.